Section 6 of Historical Sketches of the Catholic Church in Oregon During the Past Forty Years by Francis Norbert Blanchet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Remarkable Conversion of Dr. John McLaughlin it is but just to make special mention of the important services which dr john mclaughlin though not a catholic has rendered to the french canadians and their families during the fourteen years he was governor of fort vancouver he it was who read to them the prayers on sunday besides the english school kept for the children of the bourgeois he had a separate one maintained at his own expense in which prayers and the catechism were taught in french to the catholic women and children on sundays and weekdays by his orders he also encouraged the chant of the canticles in which he was assisted by his wife and daughter who took much pleasure in this exercise he visited and examined his school once a week which was already formed of several good scholars who soon learned to read french and became of great help to the priests he it was who saved the catholics of the fort and their children from the dangers of perversion and who finding the log church the canadians had built a few miles below fairfield in eighteen thirty six not properly located ordered it to be removed and rebuilt on a large prairie its present beautiful site to that excellent man was our holy religion indebted for whatever morality the missionaries found at vancouver as well as for the welfare and temporal advantages the settlers of the cowlitz and willamette valley enjoyed at that time at the time the two missionaries arrived dr mclaughlin was absent but was expected to return in the following september the good work of that upright man deserved a reward he received it by being brought to the true church in the following manner when he was once on a visit to fort nasquali the end of controversy written by dr milner fell into his hands he read it with avidity and was overcome and converted at once on his return to fort vancouver he made his abjuration and profession of faith at the hands of the vicar-general on november eighteenth eighteen forty two he made his confession and had his marriage blessed on the same day and prepared himself for his first communion by fasting during the four weeks of advent which he passed on his claim at the willamette falls now called oregon city in having the place surveyed into blocks and lots being thus prepared he made his first communion at fort vancouver at midnight mass on christmas with a large number of the faithful women and servants of the hudson bay company the little chapel was then full of white people and indians it was beautifully decorated and brilliantly illuminated the plain chant was grave the chant of canticles of noel in french and chinook jargon alternately by the two choirs of men and women was impressive as well as the holy performance around the altar in a word it was captivating and elevating to the minds of the faithful commemorating the great day of the birth of our saviour it was on such an occasion that hon peter h burnett being at vancouver in eighteen forty three and attending high mass as a spectator at midnight on christmas received the first impression of his conversion as mentioned in the preface of his book under the title of the path which led a protestant lawyer to the catholic church from the time of his conversion till his death dr john mclaughlin showed himself a true and practical christian 
and a worthy member of the holy church never missing the divine service of mass and vespers on sundays and holy days going to the holy table nearly monthly and preaching strongly by word and example on going to church each sunday he was often accompanied by some protestant friends one of them inviting him to go and assist at the service of their church he answered him no sir i go to the church that teaches truth but not to a church that teaches error he was kind to his children and grandchildren his son-in-law following his example he was born in the district of quebec canada and died at his residence at oregon city on september third eighteen fifty seven aged seventy-three years fortified with all the consolations of the church after a lingering illness of two years which he bore with christian patience and resignation about three months before the return of archbishop blanche from south america in eighteen forty seven dr john mclaughlin was the father of the orphans and servants of the h b company the father of the french canadian colonies of cowlitz and willamette valley of all the american immigrants and a great benefactor of the catholic church in hearing of this great man the holy father pope gregory the sixteenth sent him the insignia of the knights of the distinguished order of saint gregory the great which archbishop blanche delivered to him on his return from europe in august eighteen fifty seven missionary labors at fort vancouver after the arrival of the priests the lord's day had been sanctified by regular public services consisting of a high mass with an instruction in the forenoon and vespers and sunday school in the afternoon the chant at mass and vespers was the gregorian for some of the men were already able to sing the kyrie gloria sanctus and agnus dei or were soon able to do so the chant of canticles in french by the choirs of men and women as aforesaid added not a little to the solemnity of the service the large building granted for the purpose was generally full of catholics among whom were often seen a number of non-catholics as to the protestant service on sunday which was the episcopal one it was held in the large hall of the governor's house and read by him the american ministers who travelled pretty often and were always lodged and politely treated by the governor and other bourgeois were seldom or never invited to hold the episcopalian service on sunday their singing with their wives in their rooms late in the evenings on many occasions was the means of drawing some of the ladies and children to hear them christmas day which in eighteen thirty eight came on a tuesday and being observed as a general holiday by the company the men had a chance to celebrate it there were two low masses at midnight in the room of the priests at which some assisted the high mass vespers and instruction took place as usual on sunday the music which accompanied the gregorian chant at mass and that of the canticles at vespers in place of the anthems after the psalms rendered the office of christmas more solemn than usual so that all returned home well pleased and contented as the company used to send over the rocky mountains in the beginning of march every year an express to carry its papers to canada the missionaries availed themselves of the opportunity to send to quebec the history of their journey from lachine to vancouver with an account of their labors during the journey and since their arrival an item of which extending to march first eighteen thirty nine was 
baptisms three hundred nine marriages sixty one sepultures nine out of the three hundred nine baptisms one hundred seventy five were made on the journey and one hundred thirty four since their arrival out of the one hundred seventy five one hundred twenty two were made on the east and fifty three on the west side of the rocky mountains out of one hundred thirty four seventy four were from the willamette fifty three from vancouver and seven from cowlitz of the sixty one marriages twenty five were from the willamette twenty four from vancouver and twelve from east of the rocky mountains first visit to cowlitz mission according to an agreement made between the bishop of juliopolis and sir george simpson governor of the hudson's bay company the principal station of the catholic missionaries was being fixed at the settlement of cowlitz river because it was not like the willamette settlement on a ground whose ownership was disputed by great britain and the united states to the end therefore to show his willingness to carry out that agreement and order the building necessary for a residence the vicar-general accompanied by augustin rochon a servant brought from canada left vancouver on wednesday afternoon december twelfth eighteen thirty eight in a canoe paddled by four indians and reached a cowlet settlement on sunday the sixteenth at ten a m the first mass ever celebrated at that place was said on that day and another one on monday in the house of mr simon plamondon before the settlers and their families who were much pleased to learn that the priests were to reside among them having visited the place and chosen for the mission a piece of land of clear prairie of six hundred forty acres strewed only with some rare borders of timber he left his servant there to square the timber for a house and barn and to make rails for fences the cowlitz settlement has been five years in existence it is on the west side of the river in a prairie six miles long and two miles broad bounded on the east by the river and on the west by a large quantity of timber it is a very fine location for a colony its soil is rich and fertile grass fishing and game are in abundance the situation is beautiful in the northwest appears mount rainier and mount st helens on the east whose high peak is always covered with snow the hudson bay company has a farm there on which a large number of men are employed in farming on a large scale the young colony was then composed of only four canadian farmers whom dr mclaughlin had discharged from further long services the cowlitz river runs from north to south and empties into the columbia it is very tortuous and full of snags and renders its navigation difficult and dangerous especially for small craft and by reason of its numerous rapids of dangerous ascent having made seven baptisms given to the men the necessary advices and recommended mr fagnant one of the farmers who was able to read to teach the prayers and catechism to the women and children the vicar-general left on tuesday morning the eighteenth and reached vancouver on thursday the twentieth at four thirty p m governor douglas had the politeness to go and meet him on the shore with rev m demur on his arrival on his way up and down he visited some indian lodges to announce to them the arrival of the black gowns who come to speak of the great spirit and make them good first mission to the willamette valley this mission lasted about thirty days from january fifth eighteen thirty nine to february fourth 
this valley takes its name from the river which flows through it from south to north it is a continuance of large and level prairies strewed with timber which is found specially along the banks of the streams the east shore of it may well be called the granary of oregon the western shore being generally mountainous the settlement of this valley began as follows there remained in the country three canadians remnants of the old expedition of hunt and astor viz etienne lucier one of the former and joseph gervais and louis labant of the latter etienne lucier being tired of living a wandering life began in eighteen twenty nine to cultivate the land near fort vancouver and getting dissatisfied with his first choice he left it in eighteen thirty and removing to the willamette valley settled a few miles above champouy then called by the canadians campement des sables following his example the two others joseph gervais and louis labant followed him in eighteen thirty one and settled some distance south of him one on the right side and the other on the left side of the river some old servants of the hudson bay company being discharged from further services went over to them and increased their number the good and generous dr mclaughlin encouraged the colony and helped it all in his power it continued to grow up every year and its settlers began to feel the necessity of having some priests to reconcile them to god and also to instruct their wives and children the nearest bishop they could apply to was at red river they sent him a petition in eighteen thirty four asking for priests their request was without success so they renewed their petition in eighteen thirty five and this time it seemed they were to be heard for the bishop of juliopolis obtained in eighteen thirty six a passage for two priests in the canoes of eighteen thirty seven to oregon but in the interval of the appointment of the missionaries other reflections superseded the first and on remarks being made that as there were in the country anglican methodist and presbyterian ministers the difference of teaching might create dissensions among the indians for this reason and perhaps to give them time to proselyte the grant of passage was withdrawn but having made new efforts the bishop obtained the claimed passage in the canoes of eighteen thirty eight hence their arrival and their labors at vancouver the catholics of the willamette valley were very anxious to see among them at least one of the priests they had so earnestly asked for on the day appointed for going two large canoes from the valley conducted by two of the most respected citizens of the colony mr etienne lucier and mr pierre belec were ready at vancouver for departure the vicar-general leaving to rev m demur the charge of continuing the mission of vancouver started on thursday january third at three p m the willamette fall a beautiful fall of thirty feet across the river which requires a portage of canoes and baggage for a quarter of a mile was passed early on friday and on saturday at ten a m the campement des sables champouy was reached the four miles from thence to the log church for there was a church already were made on horseback and as mr lucier and mr belec were neighbors and on his way the vicar-general stopped and visited their families who were so glad to be the first to see the priest and see him in his true ecclesiastical robe or soutane which the two missionaries continued to wear in travelling at home and in the town of oregon city till eighteen forty nine 
that church made of logs was built in eighteen thirty six as soon as they had any hopes of having priests it was a building seventy feet by thirty built on a prairie on the eastern side of the river and the road going to shampooey the vicar-general took possession of a part of the church at the back of the altar measuring twelve by thirty which being afterwards divided by an alley of six feet gave sufficient accommodation for two bedrooms on one side and a kitchen and dining-room on the other later in order to make room for some orphans the alley became the cooking-place the afternoon of that day was spent in receiving visits as all especially the women and the half-breed boys and girls were very anxious to see the priest so long announced and expected that day was indeed a day of joy and tender emotions to all the following day january sixth being sunday and the epiphany of our lord the church was blessed under the patronage of the great apostle st paul after which was celebrated the first mass ever said in the valley in the presence of all the canadians their wives and children it was surely a great day for them all for the canadians who had not seen a priest nor heard a mass for ten twenty thirty and some nearly forty years and for their wives who were at last beholding one of those priests their husbands had so long ago spoken to them about sweet and touching indeed were the sentiments these canadians experienced on seeing themselves at the foot of an altar of the cross and before the face of a priest these poor canadians were overjoyed and the women were amazed in beholding the priest at the altar in sacerdotal vestments and prayer the holy sacrifice of the immaculate lamb of god was offered the pastoral letter of the bishop who had heard their voice and sent them priests was read the commandments of god and of the church were published as well as the rules to be observed during the mission and all terminated with reflections and advices which were very touching on both sides all went home happy and willing to obey the church even in regard to separation from their wives until their unions would be blessed and so great was their desire to have their wives and children instructed and to lose nothing of the instructions given that they brought them from home to live in tents around the church the men would not do less those living the nearest came every day to hear mass and pass the whole day at the church returning home in time to attend to their business and prevent the wasting of their crops by their hired and slave indians those who lived farthest away remained several days before returning home sleeping in the large hall not yet divided by an alley and let no one suppose that in that season the people had to suffer from the inclemency of the weather not at all for the weather was so extraordinarily fine and mild and so similar to the month of may in canada as to make the good canadians say the good god has pity on us and it is for us that he has sent this fine weather the exercises were commenced every day by the celebration of mass with an instruction after which followed the recitation of the prayers in french the explanation of the apostles creed and the most important truths of religion intermixed with singing of canticles from mass till twelve a m and from one to four p m and as the women did not at all understand french and there were among them a variety of tongues some being of the chinook others of the colville and flathead tribes 
the difficulty was overcome by using different interpreters to convey to them the words of the priest at dusk took place the evening prayers the reading of pious books and singing of french canticles after which some boys were taught to read in french and serve at mass there was at that time in the valley a young man twenty-five years of age born in havre de grace france called pierre stanislas jacquet he left the sea which he entered at the age of eleven that young man became useful by knowing how to read and teach the prayers while the priest was hearing confessions of the men who had to come more than once and those of the little boys and girls to accustom them to the holy practice the men had also to be examined and reaffirmed in their prayers but they generally were found to have retained them in a surprising manner the instructions and teaching of prayers lasted three weeks the fruits of the mission were consoling for many of the indian women and a number of grown boys and girls and young children had learned to make the sign of the cross the offering of the heart to god the lord's prayer the hail mary the apostles creed and some of the acts twenty-five indian women were baptized in excellent dispositions and their unions with their husbands blessed by the church forty-seven other baptisms of children were made to which if we add those two of an old indian man and a young indian girl both sick who soon died and were the first buried in the new cemetery we will have seventy-four baptisms and twenty-five marriages the twenty-sixth couple being that of a canadian married in the valley by the rev d leslie without the certificate of the death of his wife he had left in canada the vicar-general ordered and obtained a separation hence only twenty-five marriages instead of twenty-six besides the altar fixed in due time the vicar-general had a communion rail made to separate the sanctuary from the nave a cross fixed on the gable of the church an acre of ground chosen and fenced and blessed for a graveyard with a high cross in the centre and small wooden crosses were blessed for each house the six first couplets of canticles which had been learned and were daily sung at mass with some taste and delight by the men women and children were earnestly recommended to be sung at home the two missionaries saw with great pleasure their advice put in practice in fine taking the fourth and last week of his mission to rest a little the vicar-general went and took possession of a tract of ground of six hundred forty acres for the mission and went around the whole establishment to visit the settlers who received him with the greatest demonstrations of joy and thanks to god for the consolations of religion they had received their joy nevertheless was greatly lessened in not being allowed to keep among themselves at least one of those they had called for but they expected that this would not last long and that their good father dr mclaughlin would obtain a change having given them five sundays the vicar-general started on monday the fifth of february and reached vancouver on tuesday at five p m where he remained at work with rev m demur till the fourteenth of march the true name of our river it is fit to explain here why in the foregoing paragraphs the name of our river is called walamet rather than walamet or willamet as many call it now the reason is obvious it is because 
Willamette is the true Indian name, whereas Willamette and Willamette are but corrupted and fabricated ones of modern date. Proofs are not wanting to show that from 1812 to 1842 the principal persons in the country, either American of Astor's and Hunt's expedition, or British or Scotchmen or French Canadians of the Northwest and Hudson Bay companies, always spelled the name with an A in the first syllable and a TTE in the last one, thus Wallamette. The letters met not to be pronounced me as in the French bouquet, but as met as in the French word gazette. It was thus spelled by the gentlemen of the H.B. Company, Dr. John McLaughlin, James Douglas, and Peter Ogden, when the Methodist Presbyterian ministers, Catholic missionaries, and many other American citizens arrived here in 1834, 1836, 1838, and 1840. And all that notwithstanding the strong prevailing use of the spurious one of Willamette. Witness the following instances. Reverend Jason Lee, who arrived in the country in 1834, signs in 1844 with Dr. McLaughlin and others a document in which the word is spelled Willamette. David Leslie, W. H. Wilson, and George Gay, who came here in 1837, Sidney Smith in 1839, and A. F. Waller and L. H. Judson in 1840, say they are living in the valley called Wallamette. Young and Carmichael, addressing the Oregon Temperance Society, date their letter from Wallamette, January 3, 1837. Rev. G. Hines, who came here in 1840 in his History of Oregon in 1859, on all occasions calls our river by the name of Wallamette. Dr. E. White, who arrived here in 1836, when writing as sub-agent of Indian Affairs to the Secretary of War in 1843, always dates his letters from the Willamette Valley. Josiah L. Parrish and A. F. Waller, who arrived here in 1840 as Methodist ministers, affirm that the name of the river is an Indian one to be spelled with an A in the first syllable. The Catholic missionaries, on their arrival at Vancouver in 1838, received also the name with its orthography from the same gentleman, and always used it in their long correspondences at home and abroad from 1839 to 1848, dating their letters from or addressing them to St. Paul of Wallamette. So did the Sisters of Notre Dame, Belgium, from 1844 to 1853. The gentlemen of the Hudson Bay Company did likewise in all their transactions and writings, Thus, their bills of supplies to the Catholic Mission from 1839 to 1847 were always headed Catholic Mission of Wallamette, or of Wallamette Falls. Reverend Mr. Beaver, who was chaplain at Vancouver from 1836 to 1838, having returned to England, in a certain deposition made in London in 1849, calls our river by the name he had learned during his stay at Vancouver, Wallamette. End of section 6